All right, friends. Well, thanks so much for joining us for another episode of the Tribe Exchange. We're really excited today to have our guest, Steve Staten, on. Uh, Steve is a trainer, speaker, and organizational health consultant. Uh, He's worked with multi-site churches of 250 to 6,000 across the U.S., Canada, U.K., as well as nonprofits throughout Asia. Uh, Steve's early professional career began at Fermilab in 1979, uh, where he worked for nine years as an engineer working with high energy, sound, radar, and computer design. But in 1988, uh, Steve and his wife went into the full-time ministry where they pastored churches for about 25 years. Uh, working with church leadership, overseeing church uh, leadership education, uh, pastoring, and management conflict. He has a master's degree in theology as well as a master's degree in conflict management. And Steve is certified with safety risk management method, which is called the just culture or just culture. And we're going to get into what that that means today. Uh, He's a big proponent of collaboration, and he recently published a book called The Art of Breakthrough, Collaborating on Audacious Undertakings. And uh, Steve is also the project coordinator for Disciples Center for Education, a nonprofit initiative that helps fund the Telios Journal and PhD scholarships for qualifying individuals. Steve, great to have you on the show. Thanks for being with us. It is an honor. I'm very excited even about this topic. So Yeah, well, we, we are too. We're grateful to have you. Um, we always kind of begin the show with just a little bit of the journey of our guest. And so maybe just in brief, you could unpack for us, how did you begin to follow Jesus in the first place? I was a uh, Roman Catholic, very serious all the way through college. I was a lay minister, you know, did... Com- uh, actually, administered communion, ashes on Ash Wednesday. I was like really, really in, but I had no power in my life, and I was door knocked. And uh, I took the, the guys up on going to a Bible study. The rest was history. And yeah. Thursday night, I attended my first Bible study in June, and the last day of July of 1981, I was baptized. So this uh, this month it'll be 40 years. Wow. Congratulations. That's awesome. Um, Well, I imagine in 40 years of being in the church and uh, 25 years of pastoral work and and conflict management, you've seen quite a bit. Uh, And we're going to get into that. And and specifically, we want to talk about conflict and, and some of the nuances around conflict. We are certainly in a cultural moment where there has been much conflict and uh, doesn't seem to be going away anytime soon, which, uh, so we want to learn from that. We want to learn how to best navigate and we're hoping you can help us. You know, I thought it was interesting in your introduction, it says that you're trained in this thing called just culture. And I was hoping you could unpack that a little bit. What is, what is just culture? It's an awesome, awesome field. Uh, This, the background is about a 10 or 11 year window, there were major accidents and aviation and uh, uh, nuclear and all sorts of high consequence accidents. So what had happened was two different individuals on both sides of the Atlantic realized that if we can create the culture where people can turn themselves in, if they've contributed to the problem uh, so that the organization can learn, so the incident won't happen again, then it's a just culture because Sometimes our high consequence decisions were just total glitches in our brain. Right. So there's three categories, uh, human error, just maybe we're had too many hours that we were working straight through, but in a high risk job. Yeah. Second one is uh, 
behavior that's at risk, like speeding. We all right. do it, but it is not right. And then recklessness. And only recklessness gets punished, but maybe not even the loss of the job. So yeah. it, it encourages people to say, my bad, here's what happened. So it's creating an environment where people can take ownership of their faults, their failures, their mistakes, whatever that is, and, uh, and somehow use those moments to grow, to benefit the organization as a whole. And I'm actually connected to one of the incidents in a distant way, but in, uh, Okay, you, didn't, you weren't the genesis of the incident. You weren't the case study. I saw a huge flume of smoke coming out of the O'Hare area about 19 miles away from it. I was driving my Jeep and it was just wild. Turned on the radio, flight 191 with 271 people crashed, the engine fell off. Wow. And over the next year and a half, two years, they understood what had happened in that a mechanic, after working so many hours straight, thought he had a shortcut. And, but it was really hard to get that information out, to hmm. find out, get people open. So over the 80s and 90s, uh, this field developed, and now it's in healthcare. And I'm trying to incorporate it in my work with churches to get people to tell on themselves right. uh, without fear of reprisal. So, so how has, you know, this training in just culture, how has that informed your, your conflict management, your organizational health uh, consulting that you do? Well, I did write a paper that I've never released, but I did baptize this model with the Hebrew words of varying degrees of human flaws, okay? If you can see in the nature of God, there's a continuum of our, our level of failure. It may not be three stages like just culture, but there is a continuum. And I started to see that if I encourage people to tell on themselves when I'm doing a uh, crisis situation, a high level conflict, that it doesn't mean they're in trouble, but they're human. We can fix things when we talk about them. We can't fix them if we don't. Yeah. Uh, and so unless it's a scandal by which there are true victims, you know, uh, this they don't have to lose their job. That there, there may be some uh, realignment of their roles, and then everybody can learn from it. And I've been yeah. kind of doing that over the last four years, and I've actually taught this just culture model to uh, leadership and churches on a couple of occasions. That's great. Well, I, I know you know this idea of conflict and turning yourself in and kind of embracing the the failures, whether it's personal failures or organizational failures or whatever, um, we, we really do tend to look at that as a bad thing, right? And I don't know if it's just something in our Western minds that think everything should always be up and to the right and anything that isn't up and to the right in terms of progress must be bad. Um, but, but I know we certainly have a culture now where um, it seems like to... To, to point out a fault or to confront a fault or to confess something, you know, a fault or to come clean with something. Um, it, it's, uh, there's so much around cancel culture right now um, that there's kind of a phobia of, of confronting some of those hard truths and, and recognizing them as, okay, I messed up or this is wrong or this behavior is wrong and I have to now... Um, to work on that. And I, I don't know, for you, as you've worked in this field for a little while, um, why do you think it is that we're, we're so uncomfortable with 
our faults and our, our failures and, our, and, and then confronting them and, and doing that in you know, the space of other people where it may be, it feels like conflict at times. Why is that such a challenge for us? Well, in, in the realm of television and radio and media, there's a real big risk uh, to not only be canceled, but just be humiliated and shamed. Right. And so that world has also left the Christian framework, the Judeo-Christian framework of how problems are solved behind. We are no longer uh, thinking about due process, evidences, witnesses, so much as we are just looking for uh, collectively scapegoats around ideologies. And so that's out there. The church, we should be modeling something very different. But we get influenced by what's going on out there. Right. And I think the, the shift in framework, we've got to reteach our church. What are the processes? And in the church world, we have redemption. We have mercy. We have grace. We have understanding. Uh, we can also have this just culture model incorporated because it re- resonates with scripture. Then that can inc- uh, encourage openness. Um, we just say, hey, my bad. This is what I did. Here's why I think I did it. Um, and it's not the end of the day. Right. You know, we can make personal changes and organizational changes with that kind of a culture. But if we're going to be influenced by what's going on out there, uh, the left or the right, uh, we're going to give it yang to yang, and it's going to really hurt our ability to encourage openness. Yeah, you know, I, I appreciate what you said about kind of the when we run into adopting these ideologies, you know, that um, there's such a framework, there's such a strong framework that that it has, um, it influences our relationships, our work relationship, our politics, our familial relationships. Like it just influences everything. And, um, I don't know, it feels like almost like everybody's everything, every product, every word, every celebrity, every sports, you know, guy, like the, every, everybody's kind of owned by a side and, Depending on what you mention, it triggers this. It just triggers this whole onslaught of right, um, right. stuff that comes with that. You know, that gets put on you because of those things. And and I guess that would be a really scary environment to try to operate in, right? Like to say the wrong thing, and now all of a sudden you've got all this stuff assumed about you or transposed onto you that may not be true. Well, people are Siskel and Eberting apologies nowadays. They're like thumbs up or no, that was bad or he should have said this or whatever. right. Uh, and it can happen in our own world too, but uh, yeah, I, I think personally, like I think that conflict is our friend when we understand what can come out of resolving a conflict. Really, uh, I think if, if conflict were a person, we have slandered conflict. You know? Yeah. So you talked a little bit about it, like some of the, the redemption and some of those, you know, the the pros of conflict, I guess, right? The opportunity to grow. But what are, what are some of the other benefits of conflict? Well, first one is really getting to know who you are because you can go through decades of your life and not know ultimately why you do what you do and say what you say, where it's coming from. Like your scheme is fight, flight, or even false confession or lie, deny, or whatever. Those things can often be traced back to an event or right. some events family dynamic. So that self-discovery is awesome. And then I would say, secondly, we can uh, get to know the other, our, our spouse or our coworkers in a 
way we never would have without a conflict. Matter of fact, we can move that relationship from being so-so to incredible through a well-facilitated uh, or well-managed uh, conflict. And, and then you get to know, okay, here's my trigger. I'm about ready to do that thing I ought not to do, okay? Because I have two of these things. One of them is I'm an engineer by origin, uh, but I knew I was going to be an engineer when I was seven years old, okay? So I like to fix problems. Well, that's not always good in relationships. You want to go fix a person, right. fix the situation. And then my favorite TV hero and movie hero was Jimmy Stewart. And all the movies that featured him, he was a guy that always intervened. So he jumped into situations. And so I like to jump into situations. So the engineer who jumps into situations, that can be catastrophic, even for me. Yeah. Okay? So I now have I've learned over the past 10 years working in this field that, hey, let me be the person who draws out people help them solve their conflict themselves, I can be a resource, not the fixer. So I've grown as a professional and personally through learning about why I am the way I am. Right, so you wouldn't have had that uh, education had you not kind of gotten into conflict in the first place, right? So there's, yeah. this, oh, yeah. there's an opportunity on the other side of conflict that, that exists right. to grow, right? Um, yeah. You know, I love I love what you said about trying to f not trying to fix things. I, I I don't know if it's just a guy thing. Like I think when guys talk to each other, if we kind of get open about, and I've heard somebody say this before, but if we if we share something vulnerable with another guy, it's typically because we want help fixing it, right? And so, right. Uh, at least in my marriage, when my wife maybe shares something vulnerable or she brings something up, a hurt or something like that, that she wants to talk about my temptation right away is to jump in and fix things. And sure. I think, uh, like you, I've learned pretty quickly that that's, that's yeah. not always the best approach, right? <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> that just, that may, that may create more conflict for more opportunity to grow. Right. So I get to grow Absolutely. either way. Yeah. Um, but it sounds like some of these, some of these ingredients of resolving conflict and the benefits of conflict, you know, they, they go for larger organizations, but they also just go for things like we're talking about our marriage or our parenting. And I wonder if you could talk a little bit about that. So when there is a conflict, when there is something up and you got to talk about it or somebody's going to talk about it with you or and whether that's an organization or a, a relationship in your household are there just some basic elements approaches best practices things that we can be thinking of uh in that moment well i, I will say that it's really good for people when they know they're in a conflict and this might be even in a mediation or something more organic and loose that happens at home for people to have in their mind before the conflict, I really valued, loved, liked, enjoyed my dynamic with that person. So you need a prologue before the conflict and have yeah. it in your mind. And then have a real brief story that has two or three salient points about the conflict that's bugging, bugging us. And then have a, a clear in our mind what our ask is. Am I asking for a new dynamic? Am I asking for an apology? Am I asking for a particular outcome that I've never been able to get before? You know, uh, so that helps. And when you rehearse it, you can do it even mentally without writing it down. Writing it down does help, of course. 
But uh, that way, you're just not in this tit for tat, back and forth, escalation, escalate, escalate. But you're trying to do the things that can de-escalate. That is, get clarity of our relationship. This is a meaningful person in my life. This is my understanding of what happened. It may be wrong. And here's my ask. And if the other person is doing something similar, uh, that's not really hard to navigate. Um, it's not always easy, but it's a whole lot better when there's that process going on. Well, it sounds like if you're, if you're really going to get the most out of a conflict, um, you, you've got to be in it for the win. Like you got to be in it for the long haul. Like the, you're, you're after resolve and not just, I don't know, to get your point across and prove the other person wrong or something. Right. So you, you have this prologue of, even though I feel this way about this family member or this coworker or this organization, this church or this work company that I work for, you know, I know that I joined the church or I, I, signed on with this company or I married this person or whatever because I feel positive things and I, I love them and I, they've added to my life and um, they're high value in my life. And so you kind of have this prologue and then, but then you go, okay, well, but here's the things that are, that are, here's the rub, right? Here's the grind. Here's the conflict right now. Um, and then you, you formulate an ask, so can you kind of unpack that a little bit? Because I think we could probably walk ourselves through, okay, here's why I, I signed on with this company, right? And, um, and maybe even, you know, like, okay, but here's what's wrong right now. And may, I'm assuming sometimes we say the thing that we think is wrong and then that gets kind of massaged and we figure out maybe a little bit more clarity even there in, in the inter interaction. But, but how do we formulate a good ask without be, just becoming a critic and kind of getting our point across and maybe closing some of those doors of opportunity that are on the other side of this conflict? Well, the, uh, the enemy of a good resolution is shame. So if mm. we're going to shame the other person or feel shame, we're not going to really resolve something. We might have a fake, a plastic resolution, right? but if we can see the other person through some sort of dance, like we're both on stage. There is a phrase that says, go to the balcony. See coming across. And we see how they're coming across. If we can see both at the same time, we can ask, is my dance okay? Like, do I look aggressive? Am I pointing my finger? Is my face full of anger? And, and my tone, is it unacceptable? So if we can focus on what's going to bring out the best in the other person, body language and all that, then we want that person to hear our narrative for understanding. The way that we can do that is uh, what helps to say, this is my recollection. This is my perspective. It's not, this is what's happened. It's giving some uh, elasticity to our narrative, uh -huh. asking them to hear it and saying that we want to hear their perspective. And what happens sometimes is we have to, edit our narrative. It wasn't hundred percent true. And then they're going to edit theirs. And then the ask isn't so hard because if a manager humiliated us, our ask might be not only that they don't do that, but they clear up what they did in front of a group of fellow workers and say, uh, that was inappropriate what I did. Right.
Okay, so there's this idea, it sounds like what you're saying is we need to at least embrace some of the ability to to pull back, to have the balcony view and go, okay, what's the bigger picture here? And I, I like what you said. You said, you know, how do, what's the benefit for this person in this conflict? And that's, that's not always our natural uh, approach to conflict. It's usually, what's the benefit for me? Like, what do I need? There's a conflict and I need it resolved so that I feel better or that I get what I want or et cetera. So um, maybe you can help us there. Like, how, how do we get into that practice of thinking of conflict and going, hey, what's, what's the benefit for this other person in this conflict? Well, first of all, this is uh, taught in every kind of conflict resolution training there is. Even, even those that I think are substandard talk about this kind of thing. The real issue, Elias, is that uh, companies, churches, charities, education, we, we never got this stuff. From up till grade 12, and most majors in university don't cover it unless it's related to negotiation or law or whatever. So this is becomes more intuitive if we've had the training. Because yeah. you, you're really taught early on, make your case so that they will want to hear it and so they feel safe. And, it's, and you go for win-win. The language of win-win, which you mentioned earlier, is huge in this field. Yeah. And, uh, Getting to Yes by William Bury, Roger Fisher, and another author I can't remember is the staple. It's the best book to intro and in how to negotiate through difficult conversations. Getting to Yes. Yeah. Getting to Yes. Okay. Well, let me ask you this. You know, as you see it, um, in the culture of an organization, and uh, for us, we've both worked in churches. I'm currently on staff and, and pastor here in Austin. And, um, Conflict is a normal part of people coming together, right? It's whether you're trying to all order the same pizza or you're trying to have a church or a business or choose a movie or whatever it is, right? There's usually some sort of conflict. Um, but, but there are certainly things that I think are coming up right now in our cultural moment as a society, at least here in the West, um, with kind of some of the movements of secularism and, and what's happening and, and the, the focus towards... Um, uh, leadership of all kinds, of any kind of organization, right? The focus of critiquing leadership in organizations. And, and, and there are many critiques that are well-founded, right? Even within the church uh, that need to be talked about. Um, but I think sometimes, you know, especially when it comes to like a church organization, we can go, man, but we're, there's faith, there's love, there's, there's these motivations of... Uh, the good, right? We're trying to do our best to follow the teachings of Jesus in community. And, and yet there are still things that need to get confronted along the way in order to, to grow. And right now there is, there's all kinds of approaches that are kind of being handed down from academia or from the world, cancel culture, there's deconstruction, there's all kinds of theories that are out there right now, how to approach, you know, conflict or things that you see wrong in an organization. Um, I guess first, I have two questions to that. One is, how do we get off base? Like, how, how, how do we get off base? And will we always get off? Will we ever, like, arrive? Will there ever be enough conflict that we just go, okay, we finally sorted this whole thing out, and we're, like, this perfect 
community or this perfect organization or church or whatever, is conflict just something we're always going to work through because we get off base? And if so, how, how does that happen? How does that drift happen? And then my other question is, you know, what's the difference in in the the approach of Jesus? Because I know that's important to you, right? Like that's what you're trying to do. You're not just trying to apply the, any theory that are out there or a you know, secular approach, you're really going, hey, there's something founded in the gospel that can help us work through this in a way that the world uh, or organizationally doesn't have. Um, so, uh, yeah. So anyways, long, long okay. question, two, two questions. But first, how do we drift like that? Is that just something we need to expect? And, and well, how, how does that okay, happen? So faith organizations in particular, where, where I'm most uh, comfortable is there, if there's absence of processes, HR, conflict of interest, risk management, even just standard conflict resolution, what will happen is the organization will slide into bureaucracy, fraternity, oligarchy, patriarchy. And so the whole system now favors some and is prejudiced against others. Mm -hmm. And the lack of clarity makes it a high risk situation to get in conflict with certain individuals. That drift is sometimes intentional because some people want to just retain being in charge. Right. And they don't want to pay attention to the systems and processes and documentation, you know. But there's a great story for this. And I wrote it up. It's on the bottom of bridginginternational.com, uh, the blog. It's called Consider Carefully What You Do. And here's why it's called that. A king in the Old Testament had a near near loss of life, cautionary tale moment named Jehoshaphat. He got corrected by uh, a seer named Jehu. His response was to go reinstate all the processes for solving problems that Moses had set up. Right. And then he campaigned all throughout Judea and he said, consider carefully what you do. And the systems were set up to solve disputes peoples among the priests and even his own household there was somebody he had to report to a priest so when we drift and we realize we've drifted i think it's time to go back and reinstitute the judeo-christian model which is really clear uh mostly from the old testament and get our systems in place yeah process how to handle witnesses and testimonies and safe harbor and not favoring the, the powerful or the powerless that's good. So there's there are these ancient pathways, right? We don't, yeah. oh yeah, uh, you know, we don't always have to look to um, to the newest, freshest thing, and even new in the last couple hundred years relative to history, right? Like that. There's actually there's really solid framework for handling these kind of conflicts in the Judeo-Christian teachings, all the way back to Moses, right? Um, you mentioned a couple. I was wondering if you could just kind of, you, you mentioned like, you know, um, witnesses and uh, safe harbors and these kind of things. Like, how does that look in an actual organization? Like, how do, how do some of these processes or these vehicles look? Well, there's about 10 uh, commitments, and I'm looking at my notes. There has to be commitment that the outcome should be shalom, which is a peace that's transcending all the parties. Uh, impartial conciliators should be so solved and or selected, and they should be wise, people of understanding and having experiences that have accumulated, uh, known to be impartial. Uh, the goal is to seek justice and justice alone, not to favor 
a, you know, a side or a leader or whatever. You want to integrate the narratives, even look for a third way to get past an either or uh, way of looking at the narrative. Uh, you'll want to reset the systems after tragedies, uh, reset with covenant sometimes, like here's a memorandum of lessons learned, what we would do different going forward. Mm -hmm. um, want to commit to various practices as a uh, habit. This is what we have said we will do from now on. Uh, you want to be transparent, let the community know about it. You want to always believe there's a way out. You're never permanently trapped. Yeah. Uh, and even in the pursuit of justice, sometimes love and mercy even become more important uh, because we've all fallen. And there's a time you can actually say, hey, let's start over. I forgive you, and we can get beyond this. Yeah. These are all based on scriptures. They're all throughout both testaments, um, and systems can be built around those. That's great. You know, so th th it's not just like scripture address, like thus saith the Lord, you know, right. have, a, have a system for working out. But it's more, there's lessons from the narratives. There's lessons from the law, I'm sure. Right. Um, there's lessons from the Proverbs or the, the larger narratives, the, the, the micro narratives of a couple of paragraphs of a king and then the larger narratives of the kings, right, in general right. and, and the, the, the relationship to leadership over centuries even. Um, that's and, great. So there's, there's Elias, so much there. A lot of I spent a lot of time in, when I helped with churches letting them know that the Judeo-Christian uh, trajectory is what eventually gave us mag the Magna Carta right. um, out of England, which was the basis for many constitutions and declarations. And the best things that have ever happened in resolving and having representation and due process, whatever, come out of that faith trajectory. And we are now departing from that as a society. Yeah. And so along with critical theory, not that everything about critical theory or critical race theory sure. is uh, unchristian or whatever. Sure. But it, those tools would be of more value if we maintain the framework of just process. And uh, but without it, we're we're being led by secular ways to deal with problems, which have a lot of emotion, little redemption. And sometimes not a lot of facts. Well, I think it goes back to the the idea of of confrontation and conflict, right? So we started well in this, at least in the framework, we started well, yeah. um, and we we get we drift away from that for whatever reasons. Like you said, you know that happens. It's a natural course of retaining power or prejudices or things that you know the the consolidation of power or whatever, and then we we try to fix it outside of that framework we then try to adopt right. we, we kind of go hey we cancel culture the whole framework right. and we we pick apart you know the founders of the framework because of some of their sins which were there um right. not to ignore them but to also then we go hey let's just throw the baby and the bathwater all out and just take a whole other approach rather than recognizing that this framework set up something that was good it just got corrupted over time by the nature of man Right, the nature of people. The first version of the Constitution had a caveat in there that was very racist. Yeah. Viewing uh, Africans uh, of descent as like three-fifths of a person. That's right. Yep. Then that way. And it was fixed after the Civil War, but uh, the Constitution wasn't replicating what Moses had set up. That's right. In that area, because he said something like, you shall not do injustice and judgment. You shall not show partiality 
to the powerless right. or those in power. And I think we can continue as a nation to improve upon a system by understanding its roots and still hear some wisdom that comes out of these identity studies. Right. That's good. That's a good, that's a really good, you know, nuanced both and, right? And that yeah. um, the, the system itself wasn't divine, right? The constitution isn't divine, right? Or right, this, right. this idea of whatever, and whatever that is, right? It, and I, I assume, you know, maybe it's not the constitution of the country, but maybe it's the beginning of your church, your church plant, right. or your, your startup company. And you go, man, this is, we fought, we've like, we have harnessed the recipe for success and this is good. And, and you just bulldoze forward and, and, and yet things evolve and, and, and you, you need to be able to take in criticism and go, okay, we didn't do that right. We need to adjust that. And, and there's a, there's a continual, um, analysis or at least like you said, a safe vehicle for people to criticize and to, to work that together in community. Um, to to become more just over time, I imagine. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, you know, this has been a really uh, helpful, very uh, relevant conversation for us. Um, I know you you gave a, a great list, which I'm assuming is somewhere that we can go and find and unpack a little bit more of, of some of your insights and your research. Where can people find out more about stuff you've produced and published and, and some of the work that you're talking about? Probably bridging, bridginginternational.com. I have a few articles related to this kind of conversation. There will be more uh, over time. I'm doing a lot of writing right now uh, on how to set up structures, faith-based structures, so that they are adaptive, innovative, but just. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so that you'll be hearing more from me on that over the next year. My sequel to The Art of Breakthrough, which what that was in the technology and aviation, this will be in the faith sector. So. Got it. Well, Steve Staten, it's been great to have you on the Tribe Exchange. Thank you for, uh, for being a guest and for sharing your thoughts with us today. Hey, it was an honor. Thank you very much.